0: Just a few film nerds breaking out of the rut, drooling over cinema that's hard and uncut. Stick us in your ear, thrill to this month's picks, and come and listen in, we're Measuring Flicks.
1: Hello everyone and welcome to Measuring Flicks. I'm Max Peterson and Carl is not here again today uh carl had to go to work we we're currently working our way through anarchy in the uk hosted by a special guest host today david rowney say hello
0: hello everyone hi
1: max so carl was here earlier but we talked about with nail and i for a
0: long time three three hours
1: and 90 minutes we probably
0: could have carried on
1: yeah, probably. that. One of the things I love about the movies that we decided to do for these are the ones that... Uh, With Nail, you showed us, so that was a given. And Sid and Nancy is the only like British film that I was really aware of, so I, that was one that I wanted in here. So... I, You can say so much about them compared to the other movies that we've been doing so far in the season, which is like, so Viking women in the Land of the Sea Serpent directed by... Arnold's wearing a
0: thong and Arnold's not wearing a thong in this one. And we can't call him Conan in (laughs) this one, but we can call him Conan in that one. (laughs) He's Kalidor
1: the Barbarian and he's Conan in this one. And did we get boobs in it? No, we didn't get boobs. So we're sad. But this movie gave us boobs. (laughs) In these ones, we actually have to flex our brain a little bit. Junkie boobs,
0: we're called. (laughs) My God, we
1: definitely get junkie boobs today. All right, so in a weird kind of sister film to with Neil and I in a strange way, today we're talking about 1986's Sid and Nancy, directed by Alex Cox, cinematography by my favorite cinematographer, Roger Deakins, starring Gary Oldman, Chloe Webb, Courtney Love, Andrew Schofield, David Heyman, and... For whatever reason, I was on IMDB and I couldn't figure out why, but I'm going to say they, they credit Sid Vicious as being in this film. I didn't see any archival footage or anything like that. I didn't know so. whether
0: it, yeah, sometimes is it in the, in the, the interviews on the TV was that genuine I, I mean I know they use they use Sid vicious's song. For my, when he does my way, yeah, that is the original so the, recording so maybe of Sid Vicious doing my way.
1: So they're maybe they're just uh, they're crediting him as
0: like voice or something. Yeah, I don't.
1: Okay, so Sid Nancy—they're pretty
0: much interchangeable, though. That's one of the running themes for this this podcast. Is. Gary Oldman is Sid vicious. <laughs> Un- <laughs> unbelievable. Before Ray Malick played Freddie, <laughs> Gary Oldman played Vicious. Yeah, anyone who, what was
1: the, what even was the name of that movie? What was it called uh Bohemian Bohemian Rhapsody. 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 Yeah. That movie can go fuck itself, man. Yeah. Except to for the this. last
0: 15 minutes. I I've, I've heard a, queen.
1: I've, I've heard that he's pretty he's actually pretty good in the role, but a lot of people were it was bizarre. One of the criticisms I heard a lot was he's too good at Freddie mercury so a lot of people were saying it's not so much acting as mimicry mm. i don't think you can accuse gary oldman of that in this no he just seems to in in the same you know who the second choice for the director was was daniel day lewis really yeah or uh, so alex cox he wanted gary oldman as his first choice and if gary oldman had said no daniel day lewis was number two so two to play sid to play sid which have you ever seen my beautiful laundrette no which is i think it's i think it's daniel day-lewis's first film and he's pretty young and he would he would have been fairly young in 86 and he's got that kind of gaunt mm. look i he,
0: think the first daniel day-lewis movie i saw was my left foot and he's pretty fucked up during that movie so yeah. i can see i, think I can he see pull the journey it up. yeah he young, plays he plays young a and
1: gaunt. he plays a london punk in my beautiful Laundrette. and if you he's blonde but if you'd made his hair black i could i could mm-hmm. see it and especially with an actor that commits like like Daniel I was going to say, Lewis yeah. Does. If he
0: was going to be method in that one, it could have got <laughs> dangerous. We might not have all the other movies. Right? Yeah, we, <laughs> Daniel Day
1: Lewis would be like in and out of methadone clinics. Yeah, Clinic <laughs> yeah still probably to this shouldn't day. play this one. Um, yeah, man. So, I had seen this movie once before. I actually did a, a, a separate podcast ages ago called uh, Chatman and Robin. I used to do it with Bird. And one of the things we would do is we would do commentaries to movies. So we'd watch the movie
2: mm-hmm. and
1: then immediately start rolling it again, but talk about it as it was playing. So you could cue it up and, and talk about it as we went through it. So I did a uh, like a guest spot with my friend, Mike Techie, and he wanted, I was like, you can pick any movie, I'll watch it. We'll talk about it. And this is the one he picked. When I was young, I didn't get this movie at all. Mm-hmm. I was, I think I was 20, 2 or 23 and I watched it and I was like I you know I, I fell for I fell for the trap you know in the beginning where the ev- the colors are very vivid and bright and everything is loud and there's so much energy so I, I was like yeah punk rock oh yeah fuck you and I kind of fell into the, the romance of 1970s punk and then the movie got really sad and it just bummed me out so I stopped connecting to it mm-hmm. but now years later Twenty nine, having done like a film appreciation podcast, done like f- Super Film School looks at stuff. This movie
0: hit me completely differently.
1: Had you ever seen *Said Nancy* before?
0: Um, I guess I kind of come across it every now and again. I never, I don't remember sitting down to watch it all the way through. It's kind of like you you, you go over your mate's house and you know, it was either the wall or you know, playing in the background while people are smoking, or right. and this was one of those ones that might have been in there at that time. Like, scenes were familiar, but I don't remember sitting down and watching it until... But I bought it. I bought it before... I owned it before you'd mentioned it. Right. So I owned <laughs> in it. In the one collection. I, like, I think I need... To. I, 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 it was, I'm going to be a little bit of a fanboy here because listening to you guys talk about the movies you were listening to inspired me to watch some of the older movies. I never really watched black and white movies as a kid. I never... Really had that kind of film appreciation. I wanted to be dazzled. I wanted to, you know, be, lo- I wanted the, to be made, uh, yeah, made to laugh and stuff. And so when I listen to you guys, especially the way you talk about editing and color and, um, you know, the, uh, the equipose of things, <laughs> um, from last week, people, but, um, <laughs> less it, than it, half an hour ago. In real, time yeah, yeah, real time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, but I, it, it was a time when I bought that. I bought also, um, Olson Wells.
1: Um, you know. Oh yeah, we, when we watched one of the ones that blew my mind because sometimes you, you can, if you watch the wrong black and white movies too many weeks in a row, which we have been mm-hmm. guilty of doing so far this year. But every once in a while, you'll hit something like the Invisible Man, 1933, mm. and you're like 1933. This yeah, happened? I mean
0: I went after that. this is the other thing is that I love love here is that. It makes me go and go, Oh, I should check that out. <laughs> yeah, that's that's where we enthusiasm, been, right? What there's passion to do So it, yeah. there's passion behind movies and stuff and that's why you want to one of the reasons I wanted you to watch with Lou and I is because People have got to see this movie. Oh, you know, totally. You've got to see it. And that it, comes across with you guys when has, you're doing your films.
1: It's got that, that cult following in England, but I haven't... other th- Aside from you, I've never heard of this movie. Mm-hmm. Carl had heard of it, but I don't think he'd ever seen it all the way through. Well, he
0: said he remembers watching it very briefly when he lived in Baltimore. But right. But Carl doesn't remember a bunch of stuff not from a Baltimore. Lot, no. <laughs> yeah, there's not a lot. <laughs> um, Certain things resonated, but... A similar way to Sid and Nancy with me, probably is that I may well have sat through it, but I was probably right. on a different plane of existence at the time. <laughs> sure.
1: um, um, so what this movie takes place in the 70s, right? So, there and famously, this is like the rise of British punk rock. Mm-hmm. What, what, what was your like adolescence? What was what decade was that? For I was you? born in 78.
0: And okay. so I was at the end of all that. So the Sex Pistols were already done. Yeah, when I was starting. To, well, they were only around for like a year, basically. Yeah, it was a real short little period. But I mean, you'd go through London, um, in and around. You had the punks with the mohawks and stuff, and I always thought they were crazy looking and strange. How long
1: did that linger in the UK? The I mean, I know even in the states, a you know, lot punk longer is still
0: than there. people assume. You know, I mean, the after that came emo, and so. I think a lot of emo people were punks like some crossover between yeah, the two. Yeah there were some punks and then they you know decided to dye their hair black rather than
1: What was the, and the so in the 8 like what would what was the music scene like in Do you you grew up in London? Yeah. What was the music scene like in London cuz so you're you were born in 78 so you probably you're you're like nightlife years are probably the nineties.
0: Yes. Okay. Yeah, I was All clubbing right. I was going to nightclubs in uh mid nineties from the age of maybe seventeen. Right. Even so though what... you're supposed to be there at eighteen. <laughs> uh my my old man once uh he made the error saying you can buy, you can start you can drink when you're old enough to buy it, but it looked old enough at fifteen. <laughs> so yeah, the, uh, everything happened at a much younger age in, in England. So so I was I was clubbing you know 10 o'clock at night till 7 in the morning using speed to get through that and you know walking in one summer's evening and the sun's just going down at 10 Right. and then you're coming out at 7 in the morning the sun's coming up and you're like where the fuck did the night go you know <laughs> I've drunk a lot of water, but, and yeah, it was all house music and, and dance music, really. Yeah,
1: I was going to ask, because I know that uh, around that time in the in Europe, like, uh, that's when a lot of, like, German electronica was mm-hmm. coming out, and a lot of, like, how, uh, like house music, techno. House music was the thing stuff. for us, yeah. So, in a the... A couple s- of my
0: buddies went off in a different direction, went garage, which is, had a lot more and going on with it, whereas mm-hmm. house music was beats and then singing. Right, uh, a little bit happier, happy house, or acid house,
1: <laughs> acid house, acid uh, house. In the because st- in the states, then I always associate the '90s with like the rise of Seattle, the grunge movement. Right, Nirvana. yeah, yeah, and that came across. Did it? Did yeah, it, it yeah, there was some yeah, Nirvana that.
0: came across. Um, I know
1: their first one of their first big tours was through the UK.
0: Yeah, and we didn't get as a family in our, our little subdivision. As you would call it over here. We didn't get cable until like '91, '92 so as a kid i had four channels growing up and that was it and so that's one of the reasons tv shows like top of the pops was a musical show and was on from the 60s all the way through right but that's where you got your music that's where you heard the hits the top 10 you know that's where you got the billboard when i was growing up uh i said like the it'd be like the early
1: 2000s when i was hitting my teens um and I was in high school and a lot of, I, I fell in love with grunge. It just resonated with me. And a lot of the grunge bands, the music videos that you'd find for them were them playing in the UK on top of the pops. Like you could go and see like um, uh, L7 doing top mm-hmm. of the pops, which is nuts. Cause it's like this highly produced kind of poppy looking set. And then you have like these Filthy, yeah. like street people. Teenage up there. girls
0: just what swaying backwards and forwards in the audience. Yeah, <laughs> it,
1: you, it cuts to the audience, and everyone's like well scrubbed, yeah. brilliant teeth. And they cut back to the stage, and it's like, "Hate my father." And they're yeah. like, "Oh my god!" Yeah. <laughs> it it was very surreal. That might have been one of the things yeah. that appealed to me. But I so... went
0: through a couple of phases. Um, my <laughs> friends and I, during the last few years of our school school years, we were big into the sixties music. You know, mm-hmm. we were separate. We had this own little kind of Chorale that we were the crew, listening to music, listening to the Beatles was huge. Beatles, kinks, small faces, trogs. Mm. You know, we were always joking that we were born in the wrong decade because we every... wanted to pop acid and listen to the Beatles and have our mind expanded. And during that time, I got an, uh, an A in my English literature exam. And by the time it came to my final exam, I was off everything and I got a B. So well, that tells you something. <laughs> 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 I blame um, the trucks. You you credit the drugs. I credit the drugs the for the eye. Yeah.
1: So, all right. So, so you were, I I was wondering, because I know, I know that, I know that punk, I mean, for me, when I think of punk, I think of England. Because mm-hmm. that's, that is where this originated. Mm-hmm. And it came to the States and it changed. You know, we have DC hardcore and we've got the West Coast punks and then you have grunge. This is like a post-punk thing, but it all came from, from your country. Yeah, birthplace, yeah. So... I, I I'm hoping that as we go through this, you can give me some context because
0: I will certainly try.
1: Thank you. I've got I've, <laughs> all I've got is U.S. punk in my head. So first and foremost, it's going to be impossible for me to talk about this movie without repeatedly just gushing over the cinematography because I think Roger Deakins is a fucking genius. Yeah. He frames a shot and utilizes he he shoots like painters paint is how I like to think of him. And the the first shot of this movie is this is an old movie for deacons too because i've i'm a big fan of his newer stuff like prisoners i think is genius he shot skyfall right the new one of the newer james bond movies that the opening shot of this movie is sid vicious uh, we can just call him sid vicious because gary oldman just becomes sid vicious in this movie Mm -hmm. sid vicious sitting on a bed staring into space A little like flop, sweat, utterly blank. He's gone completely away, and I love that. There's this thing that Gary Oldman's doing with his mouth. As far as like transformative method actors, honestly, I I know people love Daniel Day-Lewis, but for me, it's always Gary Oldman. Mm -hmm. He's he's got this weird. He he's fabricating an underbite, where his lip is like a little bit back, and for the for the one of the only times in the movie, Sid Vicious like truly looks like a scared kid.
0: If if. the the lip got caught yeah and it's, it's not he's not bothered to to move. open his he hasn't yeah. opened
1: his mouth yet yeah. in hours and over it all it's like this very bare tiny room super spartan and he's staring into space and all you see is his face and the and the flop sweat mm-hmm. and you hear who called 911
0: mhm well dude you... <laughs> I missed that could you
1: say it again serious trying to call the cops for me. <laughs> but it's uh... <laughs>
0: That's kind of scary. (laughs) All of a sudden, you're gonna get Sid and Nancy on your phone. Um, (laughs) But yeah, it's I love the fact that it opened on a black, and you hear the police radio first. But yeah, before
1: the opening shot, you
0: hear the radio and it's reporting, and then you get Sid, and then you get the question.
1: Hold on. (laughs) Shut up. Siri is like listening to everything I'm saying. I'm not about it. Shut up wiretap. Um yeah, so it i says they took drugs. <laughs> yeah, the second Gotta in. the second you said drugs, they were like DEA is <laughs> D- like get the address. Triangulate the this address. This guy's got a green card, we can get rid of him. Call ICE. <laughs> he's he's got an accent and he's talking about drugs. We don't want his kind. <laughs> but um yeah, so I'd I completely forgotten about the black the the opening over black. Mm-hmm. The first thing I remember, probably because it's such a stark image, is Gary Oldman sitting on that bed. But you're right; it starts with the with the first thing you you open into is police mm-hmm. Pol- police radio chatter. Which for a movie about punk, you expect like a here comes a guitar chord, here yeah. comes a some feedback. But no, yeah. it's it's you start at the end. Yeah. Essentially. It's a beautiful framing device. It's actually The movie is actually framed very similarly to The Imitation Game mm-hmm. where you start with Alan Turing in a police station and he starts to tell the story to a cop. And then you get the story and you end back in the police station mm-hmm. and they re- react to what he said. And yep. then you get a little denouement. This film is structured identically <laughs> yeah. to a great effect. Um, I love that the, what we're, we don't realize what we're seeing – until we get a little bit of motion because I mean unless you know the story of of the death of Nancy Spongeon. but sitting sit is sitting totally still the cop I love this is another thing I like too I think it's there's a lot of bold choices made here where when the camera lens gets blocked they don't go out of their way to move the camera to get us back on subject because a detective comes and stands in front of the camera And it's just like this guy's back Mm -hmm. for like a couple seconds. And like you barely see Sid's really ratty, disgusting black hair. Then the cop sits down with the camera slowly panning around until we're in front of Sid. Again, this shot is like two minutes long. And you see cops milling around in the background. Sid is sitting totally still. But we, we know there are cops here. He looks like a drug addict, so your brain sets up these false assumptions about what this scenario. And you see is. a body bag carried out. Then before you, I think it's before you even see the body bag. You see, the, the cop, knife. The cop grabs his hand to handcuff him and picks his hand up into frame, and his hand is covered in blood. Blood. Yeah. yeah. So it's re- it's really beautiful because with all these muted. He is ghost white, pale, and his hair is black. Mm-hmm. The cop silhouette is black. Everyone's in gray suits. <laughs> I wrote down Sandman. He does. Have he looks like Neil Morpheus. Ga- yeah. yeah, from it's, it's from the, the, the right. Neil Gaiman Sandman.
0: It's fucking Sandman. Big so
1: this actually, we can talk about this because it'll come up as the movie goes through. A, the original concept for Alex Cox and Roger Deakins was to shoot this movie in high contrast black and white, like *Pi*, the movie Pi. Right, okay. They wanted to shoot it like that to get that kind of like raw punk feel. Mm-hmm. But the producers said, that won't really be commercially viable, it'll be too arty. We don't want it to be too arty. So Roger Deakins, as a workaround, starts the film with saturated colors, lots of light, bright Con- you know, mm-hmm. dark contrasts, like stage lighting and everyone's wearing colors and crazy hair. And as the movie progresses, he starts pulling colors out of the color palette and desaturating the palette. So by the end, it, the whole world looks gray, Yeah. which he thought would be a nice arc mm-hmm. to represent heroin. And what we're, we're seeing here is like the last shots of the movie. So yeah. it's, it's to see this, like your eye sees all this gray, all this gray, all this gray and his black hair and his gray. And then that bloody hand just it's not even the, the blood it's just seeing color shocks you
0: it's about as bold as sin city when yeah you get the red dress in sin city isn't it it, D- just it stands out
1: it totally is it's gorgeous and then unfortunately like the second thing we see is courtney love she's she's one of the only things that takes me out of this movie because she feels now i know i read some interviews and alex cox the director really she came and auditioned for nancy Spongeon. right and he loved her performance but they wanted an actress. They didn't mm-hmm. want. They didn't want Courtney Love. Mm-hmm. But he he liked her performance, and he wanted to get her in this. And he worked with her on his next film as like a. I'm sorry, I couldn't let you play Nancy. In a weird way, I think she's right for the role as a person, but not as an actress because she's the only one in this movie that really feels like capital A Placed. acting. Mm. Yeah, she. It it almost feels kind of like hey, look, it's Courtney Love, and isn't she thematically appropriate? Mm -hmm. Because, again...
0: Like a snowman in a nativity scene. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, look, there he is.
1: Well, it's... You know, like, for me, growing up, before I ever heard of Sid and Nancy, you hear of Kurt and Courtney. Mm -hmm. It's almost the same story. Rising... I mean, Sid had no musical talent, but, like, rising musical talent genius, this woman shows up and gets him hooked on heroin. His life takes a huge downturn and he dies mm-hmm. if she died too it would have been Sid and Nancy yeah. it's basically the same fucking thing so when you see Courtney Love in this movie it's it's a little too on the nose yeah you
0: go oh it's Courtney Love
1: yeah you're like oh Courtney Love and you make the heroin associations and you're, it's just it feels kind Unlike of like
0: Gary Oldman
1: <laughs>
0: you never think about Gary Oldman fuck at no all. <laughs> no <laughs>
1: when he's a weird choice actually you know like he comes from a good family Mm -hmm. he's really like a well-respected actor at even at this time in his career he he was showing a lot of promise and then he pops into this role and just i think that might be why it works well two
0: years later this is 86 yeah so two or three years later he appears in another independent british film that was almost on anarchy in the uk and it's it's called the firm okay um not the tom cruise one um the firm is about my uh football team west ham's under underbelly violent gang okay. now, during the 80s there was a rise in hooliganism right and these guys were they weren't thugs they were people that worked every day wearing suits you know real estate agents car dealers but on a Saturday. They would arrange rucks between rival fans gangs. Yeah, and the the West Ham fan, the West Ham group would call the Inner City Firm, and so the name of the firm. And he plays a West. He plays the leader of the ICF. Okay, and it's it's a about as different as you can get because it's just from this film. From this film, yeah, right. He's you know out of there, but this one he's. He just shifts character so clearly.
1: Yeah. And like there's there's certain actors who when you see him on screen, they play it it could be like they play Gary Oldman. Like Tom Mm. Cruise a lot of times plays Tom Cruise. But you like all the time. But you like that sometimes, you know. Like there are certain roles where Tom Cruise is who you want in that role because he's gonna be himself and that's Mm. what you want to see. Gary Oldman is I don't even know what the fuck Gary Oldman who he is. No. You know, no. when when you put him in a role, he ceases to exist, mm-hmm. and he becomes exactly what he needs to be. Yeah, every single role. It, oh god, yeah, god, he he's so he goddamn good. Well, you were
0: just saying, right? He hates this movie, and, and the yeah. levels that he tooks.
1: Yeah, we uh, well, we talked about it off mic. So let's mm-hmm. let's give the the listeners the peek behind the screen. Gary Oldman uh, didn't like the script. He didn't like the concept for the film. He had no interest in doing it, but he needed money, mm-hmm. and this, the the paycheck was £35,000. So he took this role based on 30, a £35,000 paycheck. And then even hating—he says he says in uh, one of the interviews I read, he said, when I'm flipping through the channels, you know, news station to TV station, if I see even a second of this film, I want to throw my television out the window. I think it's terrible. Not the movie. He thinks he's terrible in it. He's praised Roger Deakins' cinematography. Mm-hmm. He thinks it's a good movie that he just fucked it up because he doesn't like his performance in it, which is insanity Yeah. because it's inspired. <laughs> but uh, not only did he – so he hated the movie. He, he didn't want to do it. He did it for the money. He doesn't like what he did. He went on a steamed fish and melon diet to get skinny to play this heroin addict, Sid Vicious, and he got put into intensive care but from from malnutrition. He almost fucking <laughs> died, right? Like he's like, It's oh, incredible
0: the level, of yeah, commitment involved. Yeah, for a
1: for a role you don't want to do. D- yeah. he, th- this man. There's
0: not a single role he didn't he ever mailed in.
1: He doesn't. Yeah. He doesn't have that in him. No. I don't think as an actor he, he's like, look, okay, pff, I guess I got to do this, but I got to do this all the way out because mm-hmm. that's who I am, yeah. I, which I really respect, and it it shows, man. It shows as Sid Vicious. He's he, like. One of my favorite things about Gary Oldman's perf- all of his performances is his shifting dialect and accents. Mm-hmm. He nails them. Mm-hmm. I mean, obviously I don't have the I don't have an ear for different British dialects. I can kind of hear the difference between Birmingham, Liverpool, and London, but those are pretty Well, you
0: can tell the difference between me versus someone from Birmingham yeah. <laughs> who's on the rolls like that. All the
1: Peaky Blinders yeah. accents are Birmingham
0: and, and then, then you got the uh, the Scouse accent, which is kind of like that, you know. So, Tito, don't Tito. You know what I mean? I'm sorry, the, were those words, those last ones? To do 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 This do That's the only way I can get into a Scouse accent. It's act, What I'm saying is actually... Scouse, where is that? Liverpool. Wh- Liverpool, okay. Yeah, the Scouses. Um, they do, though, don't they do? Don't they, though? They do, though, do, don't they, do. <laughs> It's how you get into a Liverpool accent, you know? <laughs> so you can go down to docks and go to the pub and stuff like that. <laughs> um, but then come on down to London and on the east side, it's all like, "How you doing, mate? Yeah, good, good Cockney grub stuff." Roll around, and and, yeah. Go over okay. to the west side and it's all hello. So we're off to Harrod's and Harvey Nick darling. Mary Poppins is meant to be London, right? Yes, is it? I like I like to joke that Dick Van Dyke had the accent that I. I have the accent that Dick Van Dyke was supposed to have in Mary Poppins <laughs> but we feel as a region that he went to Australia to learn <laughs> to learn cockney so it's a uh, go blimey mary poppins sticking a tinny on the barbie you know <laughs> rather than uh yeah so I like singing those songs as part of the, the theatrical element of me I I, I singing sing the mary Jim Poppins. yeah <laughs> yeah I do chimcheree in a proper English accent. Yeah,
1: and the same way down here when people make fun of the Upper accent. Yeah, because I'm from there. Mm-hmm. If you, my brother's still up there. If you hear my brother talk, it's like night and day.
0: Like... yes, yeah, so it's kind of a mix of Midwest and Canadian, isn't it? Yeah, it's, 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 it's pretty like cool. You know, <laughs> kind of wraps around, eh?
1: <laughs> well, if you just throw a at the end of yeah. it, that's that's fair enough. But honestly, the the Youper accent's sort of like. We were gonna go out there on the snow machines Mm -hmm. earlier today and get. We we went for a tuner ride earlier and uh, had a couple of beers and then we're gonna take a bit of a sauna later on. It's you sort of mumble your way through Mm -hmm. it and you open it up and Bird talks about it all. She makes she gives me so much shit. I go home and visit for like one fucking day (laughs) and then I'm sitting around the table and (laughs) should go for a tuner ride after this. Is the sauna hot yet? (laughs) Like I just turned straight back into fucking uperland, man. I go straight 581 with it. Um, so one of the things we talked about to talk about Sid and Nancy again, one of the things we talked about with, with Neil and I was the, the sound mix, Yes. the sound of people chewing a pie or mm-hmm. striking a match. You can hear the tobacco the or the whistle of the kettle. Yeah. The, yeah, the sound design's phenomenal. I love the sound mix in this movie, which is counterintuitive because actually one of the complaints about this film is its sound mix. A lot of dialogue gets swallowed by city noise or by music or by someone's opening a beer and then a door will open and music Mm -hmm. blares out and it slams and you miss lines. And one of the things I love about my DVD copy is there are no English subtitles. There's There's other subtitles but none in English. And I was watching it and for like the first five minutes I kept trying to find English subtitles and then I stopped and I was like, wait, no, I'm missing the point. I think this is intentional because a lot of the content is lost in the noise. Mm -hmm. And this is a movie about punk. Mm -hmm. This is a movie about, about people desperately trying to get a feeling across. I mean, there's a great fucking moment later in this where, where they're on tour in the, in America Mm -hmm. and they're at the Lone Star bar and it's full of fucking cowboys, cowboy hats everywhere. Bunch of women in cowboy hats and Johnny Rotten is singing and he's, all you get out of him is, ah, bah, 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 bah. <laughs> it's not even words. He has ceased giving, and he's he's kind of he's that's t- a fucked
0: up scene actually because you get Super you look fun. at the audience and they're like just nodding along like with smiles on it. I, he's going I love the-, the
1: dichotomy <laughs> between what's happening on the stage and and some people are kind. They seem to be like. "Quote unquote," enjoying it, Mm -hmm. but they're missing the emotion.
0: Oh, and you get when you get in the London clubs, you see like there's spit flying everywhere. So many fluids. I have some behind the
1: scenes stuff for you about exactly that.
0: (laughs) So many fluids. They kind of you can see it on their shirts when they
1: when they shot this. Alex Cox to get because it was cheap and to give it some uh, like veracity or veracity verisimilitude, whatever to make it realistic. He just went around London and hired punks. Mm -hmm. real punks what one of the ways that in the old days in the 70s one of the ways that punks showed their appreciation for a band they liked was to spit on them so these punks are like fuck yeah and they're spitting on the actors so the actors went to alex cox and they're like we're covered in saliva these weird people that you got off the street are (laughs) spitting on us can you stop them and alex cox was like that's what they do. No. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. He refused. He refused to ask them to stop. He's like, "Now get back up on stage. So they did take after take of like these people spitting at him and flicking cigarettes at him and throwing beer cans mm-hmm. and all of that, which actually, you know what? The the first Sex Pistols show is pretty much almost immediately. That's what that is. Yeah. yeah it's like right after, right after he says, well, I met totally her.
0: He's at- totally vacant, isn't he? For the start of the movie. And then he's given the cigarette. Yeah. He wakes up when he's given nicotine. Like when he's given a drug, all of a sudden he can talk. Yeah. that's really strange when I noticed that. He's looked I totally hadn't, empty.
1: I hadn't thought of it that way, but really it is when someone gives him drugs. Yeah. As soon as he gets drugs, he gives them something in mm. return, which, fuck, dude. That's, that's excellent. That's <laughs> a really good observation. So he goes, I met her at Linda's. Yeah. Linda. Who's Linda? Yeah. And then we see... This is one of the things we talked about it a little bit with Nail and I. I mentioned Catcher in the Rye. And if you read it when you're young, you love it. And you read it when you're older and you're like, grow the fuck up. Mm -hmm. There's, I absolutely loathe the punks in this movie. Destroying, look, I understand the, because when I was, look, as a young man watching Fight Club, and they're walking down the street and they're smashing cars with golf clubs. You're like, yeah, stick it to the men. But now, as, at 29, I'm like, dude, look, I know, I get it. There's massive wealth disparity mm-hmm. in this country, but somebody worked hard to pay for that fucking car. Like, what are you doing?
0: Watching them... Not necessarily in England.
1: No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah.
0: Rolls-Royce in the 70s. There's not many of those that...
1: <laughs> no, but, like, watching... Uh, it's probably some poncy
0: it, lord or baron or something.
1: Yeah, the aristocracy. So, actually, this is... My my perspective of this, watching them spray paint and kick the windshield in on the on this Rolls Royce, I actually really love the moment where uh, Johnny Rotten is sit- by who also by the way has is strict firmly on record as hating this movie top to bottom, but the actor
0: or Johnny Rotten himself, Johnny John Lydon, John Lydon hates, Lydon. hates this movie.
1: He says they asked him, did they get anything right in Sid and Nancy, and he goes, well maybe they got the name Sid right. that was it he fucking hates this movie which is he actually had a meeting with alex cox before he started filming but he got so hammered drunk he didn't remember it and alex cox claims that he was like look i want to make kind of a fictionalized version of this i don't want to portray it as actual because this is 86 he's like Mm -hmm. it's too recent for me to do it honest so i want to get the feel you know i want to catch the noise you Mm -hmm. know and get the get the vibe but also in a weird way i i actually don't like part of his motivation. One of the things that he set out to do, making this movie, was kind of as like an anti-drug PSA. He was like, and he succeeds, man." Yeah. By the time this movie's yeah, done, no, you don't want to be taking H. Each... <laughs> no, no. By the time the by the time this movie's done, you're like, I That's... think I think I can give heroin a pass, yeah, like a hard yeah. pass. But uh, you know, so like, there's that scene where Sid kicks in the windshield and peels it back, and there's a dog inside, mm-hmm. and Johnny Rock yeah, goes, "Go trio. on, Sid, spray the beastie." And Sid tucks the can under his arm mm-hmm. instead, and goes, "Hey, here, here you go, Pooch." I love that moment.
0: He's got such cherubic nature to him, isn't he? Throughout the mu- movie, yeah, he, he's led. He's yeah, yeah, yeah. We he doesn't lead; he's he's led places. He's dra- yeah, he's by a lot of different people. Innocent.
1: By Nancy, by Malcolm. Mm-hmm. Well, I can't remember the guy's name. Malcolm, not Malcolm Gladwell. Malcolm.
0: It is a Malcolm. I just went, ah, oh, Malcolm, because you, yeah, you, you know, he's still present in. In Britain and stuff like that. And maybe not now, but I remember. Yeah. Going but through so, that phase. But Malcolm, he loves it, or, doesn't he? He's just got money in his eyes when he sees everything.
1: Like, yeah. Well, there, that's
0: and my boy. Later you know? on
1: in Paris, well, he calls him. There's this great thing where he said, Sid is Sid is more than just a rock star. Sid is a symbol. He's a metaphor. He's a beautiful disaster. Yeah. He's a paycheck, is what he yes. is. But But um, there's this. There's this other guy that they meet in Paris, where he calls after Sid as Sid has just vomited on him and is being dragged into the street by Nancy. And he goes, mm-hmm. "You're going to make somebody a lot of money, Sidney." Mm-hmm. That's his big parting goodbye. That's his the 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 kindest thing he can think to say to Sid. You're going to make somebody a mm-hmm. lot of money, not yourself. <laughs> it's it's oh man, it's it's so beautiful. But I like throughout. Sid keeps defending his mom. Mm-hmm. He talks very kindly of his mom, never says anything bad about his Who mom. Who was a
0: drug addict, by the way. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but uh, Potentially gave him his own his actual lethal dose that killed him. Really? Yeah. She uh, was in the room, and they reckon she gave him. They, didn't, they don't go in at all
1: to Sid's death. No. Other than just, he died of a drug overdose mm-hmm. February 2nd, I think 1979.
0: Uh, yeah, it's like 3 months after. Yeah, it after wasn't he gets- long, he like gets out of jail on bail, which mm-hmm. is a beautiful scene that we'll talk about. because I love that scene. Yeah, it's when he's getting when the when the guys, you know, talking to him while he's getting his things back at you know,
1: So what was what was your rec- So uh, w- they go to Linda's house and they're spray painting on her wall mm-hmm. and Sid kicks a hole in the wall and they're there's this Full, it's full-on nihilism mm-hmm. is what we see with these punks. And there's meant to be this energy of freedom and fuck you and sh- shit's gone to shit. He's so just gonna...
0: joined the band as well. It seems like he's just joined the band. Like They've just got right. rid of the other bass player. Johnny's his mate. Johnny's brought right. him in. It was Johnny's choice.
1: I wanted to get your take on this particular portrayal of punks and how you responded to it. Because I can... I can see the the like. There's a great line when they're in the methadone clinic. You guys could be you guys could be selling honest anarchy, mm. <laughs> but, but for me, there's something I I can't see anything redeeming in just the the, the destructive the, the, nature. It's purely destructive to me. It's like let's uh, yeah.
0: I think that's the, but isn't that the essence of anarchy in itself? Is like you have to destroy before you can rebuild, tear down the old stuff. Yeah, yeah,
1: but like. I guess, yeah, like as a as a like philosophy. we're going to
0: paint over, you know, you spray painting over, right? Stuff intentionally.
1: I I get that, but I, as and I think anarchy is interesting as philosophically, mm-hmm. but there's something about like painting, like spray painting over a piece of artwork and saying, "Look, now I've made it my artwork." I get it. I do. I, I I understand the idea behind it. I understand the idea behind like, look a wall. I'm going to kick the wall down just because the wall is there. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, it's like, okay, we've yeah, we've okay, you've spray painted on the wall and you kicked the wall down, and now we're but okay. So what a what have you if you can what have you contributed? Yeah. What is what's the end result? And it's like nothing. We're going to go burn a car down. We're mm-hmm. going to smash a glass in the street. And it's like,
0: well, like that's almost the intention, is it? Is it how? How cra- you know, how free can one be? Right. You know, like I'm free to do that because I can. Yeah. And I'm yeah. going to do it because I can, not so, because I should. Right. You know, it's kind of that science thing, isn't it? Yeah. You know, we can do this. There's a whole Hadron Collider thing, wasn't it? <laughs> we might make a black hole. Okay. Maybe, dist- well, maybe we shouldn't do that. Right. In the middle. Oh, it's actually France. So don't worry. Yeah. Go ahead and make a black hole in France. <laughs> But Even if the whole world goes, we can just blame it yeah, on the French. It was French first. French <laughs> went first. We can live with that. Um, but it's the it's the doing it because you can. Like yeah. that's total freedom. The other thing you want to place that in is, is it's setting in in Britain at the time. That was you've got that you've yeah. got that four day week. It's pretty downtrodden. That generates this distrust of the failed government. The anger. The revolution. So this isn't... And the, it creates punk. This
1: think, is in I the know. late 70s, 77, mm-hmm. 78. I'm not... Sh- I know... The only... You
0: had the fuel shortage, didn't you? We were having strikes. For us, it was the coal strike. Is this Thatcher?
1: Is this Thatcher Thatcher era?
0: comes in um, 78. 78, yes. So this is
1: like spot on for Thatcher. Yeah. The only exposure that I really have to British politics is through Grant Morrison... And Alan Moore, mm-hmm. especially Alan Moore's V for Vendetta, which Love that. V for Vendetta is essentially that was that was the first book that ever made me think about politics ever, mm-hmm. and it completely rewired the way that I cons- considered my government, which was interesting because I read it when I was twelve, which would be one year after 9-11. so I had swallowed all of the like the Patriot Act stuff even as a young boy because my mm-hmm. my parents were really like, hey, here's. We're trying to help you contextualize this really horrible thing that's happened to the United States. So surveillance is going to be, they're keeping us safe. And then one year later, I read V for Vendetta and I was like, that is a crock of shit. They're mm-hmm. not keeping us safe. They're they are selling us safety and keeping us in cages. Mm-hmm. And I've read a lot of shit about Alan, about Alan Moore's writing of that and it was basically him pushing back against Thatcher. Yeah. He hated Thatcher. Yeah, hate Grant Thatcher. Morrison hated Thatcher. Yeah. A lot of British writers who came up during that time period, notably not Neil Gaiman, but a lot of British writers who came up in that time period who were politically active, almost everyone I know uh, associated with Britain at that time hated Margaret yeah. Thatcher. You create
0: a dystopia, like because they're living in a dystopia, S- in, in their vision. Like Thatcherism, in my opinion, it created... Um, it destroyed the sense of community. Um, all of a sudden, you know, the the traditional culture of community and you know neighborhood spirit and stuff, I think, was destroyed during that time. Um, and I don't think it's all weighed on Thatcher because it's it Thatcher and Reagan, yeah, What are two big power players against the Russians, yeah, right, against yeah, the Soviet Union. It's did the same Bichok. thing to the United States, yeah. And it was a kind of um, pull the lad- we I refer to it as pull the ladder up and sod the rest. You know, if you get up, then pull the ladder up and don't let anyone else come. Like, as long as you're okay, everything's okay. You know, that whole greed is good, you're in it for yourself. I hate, I hate with a passion the phrase, it's just business. Yeah. Because it's not. It shouldn't be. Right. You know, you can't make cold-hearted, vicious decisions based only on it's just business. Like, that can't be your excuse when you go to bed at night. And is,
1: so would you say... Well, actually, in your I guess in your opinion, because again, I'm not super familiar with the time period, sure. but would you say punk as a musical... Because a lot of times I feel like musical genres are a reaction of the young against the establishment. Mm-hmm. Would you say punk is pretty much oh, a, absolutely. a reaction to that swing to... The, I, yeah, the, absolutely. Because Thatcherism was a swing to conservatism, right? Yeah,
0: yeah. I mean, she was elected <laughs> prime minister. She won the election in 78, but she'd been leader f- for a couple of years before that too. Um, so...
1: This is the react, and I think there's a there's an interesting lo- uh, bit here at a band practice where we see Johnny Rotten just beat beat all to hell, and they're like, "What happened to you?" And Johnny was beaten up by fascists.
0: Yeah, yeah, because I know it's the nation getting angry, right? You're in a time term- time of turmoil. You know, everything's going wrong. We've got the Labour Party was in government. That's why Thatcher got in because it was such a mess. Generally, if things are going well, the party stays in power, right? Yeah. So things are going wrong. You got coal strikes. You got the unions. Um, we we were down to four day weeks because there was regular power cuts the power would get shut off at like eight, eight at night every night and so Jesus. you'd kind of watch your TV and then that would be it and you get your candles out and you read a book and go to bed Um, and that's before me that's yeah, in yeah. the 70s mm-hmm. and so that's where it starts you, you get angry with the with the populace but these punks the thing about the youth is that they generally I think this this generation is going to be a little different but they don't. They like to to shout and cause chaos and break it down, but they don't turn up at the voting booth, right? You know, I can't ever imagine Johnny Rotten marking, right, marking a, <laughs> filling, a note, yeah, filling, filling the bubble. The yeah, form, yeah. That's they
1: kind of touch on that in this movie a little bit, where we see we see that in a really sinister and kind of from a filmic standpoint, a really beautiful way. We see. They start screaming. They start pouring energy into into rage and connecting with a community. Mm-hmm. Like the first Sex Pistols show we see in this movie is that tiny club. There's maybe sixty people, a hundred mm-hmm. people packed wall to wall, and they're spinning on them. But there's no there's no real violence except for Sid vicious goes and beats up the old bass player. Yeah. <laughs> but- <laughs> But Sid gets up on stage, he's not even plugged in, which is actually true, most of the time there was a guy backstage playing bass instead of Sid, because he couldn't play for shit, yeah, he was terrible, he was absolutely garbage, because he was always high, and he never practiced, Mm -hmm. so they would get him on stage just to be something to look at, and he had these big amps, none of them active, just just like on, but not plugged in, Mm -hmm. and he'd go up there and fuck around on his bass, and... Like that's kind of it. Malcolm's you know? just smiling in the background. Because that's that's what I mean. Is they they you ha- the Sex Pistols are like a bomb, mm-hmm. and the bo- they're about to go off. And the second there's that explosion, and all, all the punks. I love that first show because all the punks in the front row are like, "Fuck, look at the energy! This is what we feel." Mm-hmm. That, like when you get it was uh, what's the first one? The X Ray Specs. Oh Bondage, is the first song we hear. Mm-hmm. That that like Oh Bondage, up yours, like. Like, fuck you, we're breaking free this, this energy of punk. And that is something I respond to, is the energy of punk. Like,
0: Well, you know, I, I, um, the documentary, Sad Vacation, says that the legend is that Sid invented the pogoing dance, right? He, the up and down the up pogo and down. dance. Yeah, that was him. <laughs> That's so, kind of what he started. So.
1: so as soon as the bomb goes off, and it could it could blow up the Houses of Parliament, instead, a businessman comes in, and redirects the energy down mm-hmm. a commercial track to make money instead. Mm-hmm. And you see a scene, not a scene. It's that's that cheapens it. You see an ideology redirected by mm-hmm. business. Yeah. And it's so grow. Dude, capitalism it's gross. takes
0: puts its fangs in and yeah. buries it deep.
1: And not yeah, yeah. It 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 grabs something vital that could be a force for change. Yeah. And instead, it puts it in a cage and it figures out how to get all the money out of it and then it leaves it to die. Mm-hmm. And that's what we see in this movie. And we see the collateral damage of that. I'm not saying that Nancy Spungen is like a corporate stooge or anything, but I, you see the scene cannibalize itself. It
0: could've, Malcolm could have removed her long before and he just lets it go because it adds to the drama that is Sid Vicious,
1: right? Yeah, which was which was half the appeal mm-hmm. not half the appeal which was what he perceived to be mm-hmm. half the appeal of the Sex Pistols honestly i know a lot of people really idolize Sid Vicious from a musical standpoint i think you can just rotate him out of the band mm-hmm. and put a bass player in there and the Sex Pistols are still as good he didn't add anything to their sound when you go back and listen no he's
0: not the music yeah no when already you listen, said he wasn't a musician
1: yeah you listen to their records and you're like shit this music is great And you know, like, and then your first thought, most of the time when you think Sex Pistols is Sid Vicious and then Johnny Rotten. Johnny Rotten is the Sex Pistols. Sid Vicious was like a monkey that they had dance on stage Mm -hmm. at their live shows. And that's what tanked the band.
0: That's what gets Lydon so angry though, isn't it? He starts to become the star. Yeah. You see that in some of the live performances, he's looking over and going, fuck
1: off right yeah. there's a great there's a great i can't i didn't write down the exact line because it's kind of mm-hmm. lost in the pa feedback but he when basically
0: leaning over and he yeah when he why he, don't you fucking play a song
1: yeah he you goes know? shut the fuck up and play a song ha yeah. ha ha and he backs off and Lydon picks up the it's it's actually a famous it's from one of their famous shows he says it's right before he says do you ever feel like you've been cheated yeah and they i love the cut because he starts singing and they cut to malcolm mm-hmm. and malcolm's like all right. Well, I've probably made all the money I can make off this band. Yeah. Best let them to cannibalize themselves. Yeah, play.
0: they're self destructing now. So, I mean, it's where we see Baby Punk as well. We now have in this world Baby Yoda and yeah. Baby Punk because she has that. the this pregnant Punk, and then at the concert, that she's is holding the baby. Incredible she's got the, man she's with got the, the green with mohawk. the <laughs> with the Mohawk
1: on it. Um. So yeah, so I don't know, man. I I wanted to before we got started digging into specifics i wanted to talk about the the jouissance of mm. punk the the attitude the resonance through time cuz punk still in a way stands for rebellion but i don't think i can, I can think of a movement that was more quickly co-opted by a capitalism
0: no sure and
1: by being by being co-opted by record labels and things like that and i understand that from a musician standpoint you want people to hear your music because if you if you hear one good song like look man I heard the first time I ever heard uh, like Anarchy in the UK or when you're listening to the Smiths and you listen to that album God Save the Queen fuck that's a life changing album and if it hadn't been on a label I never would have heard it but at the same time you kind of feel like it's just another way to control the to do damage control Mm -hmm. it's like here we'll be the label and you know we're gonna we're gonna kind of steer you guys so that you don't really hurt the system. You just yeah. kind of make some money and yeah. you get the young people excited, but you also want to preach apathy yeah. so they don't actually go get and the listen to the actual for us change. And keep yeah. those
0: record sales going.
1: So one of the things. So let's jump let's jump back because mm-hmm. we're all I, we're almost to the god dude. There's there's so many incredible and th- this movie's really disjointed. It's kind of hard to talk about because it's not linear. It, no, it jumps the way that time would jump for you when you're fucked up on heroin. Yeah, like, yeah, but. I love the studio. When we, we meet Nancy, we meet Nancy early on and I hated her performance when I was, first saw this movie. Mm-hmm. But since then, I've seen interviews with Nancy, the real Nancy. This is how she really talks. Yeah, talked. yeah, yeah. Her voice is legitimately that grating. Yeah. So I, was, I thought, the first time I saw this, I was like, what a terrible performance. No mm-hmm. human sounds like that. Nope. Totally wrong. <laughs> She's nailing it. Yeah. Chloe Webb has got Nancy Spongeon like dialed. Our two leads in this are really good.
0: Yeah, she delivers the the greatiness that everyone else felt around her. Right? right. No one else liked her.
1: There's something in her performance that I really like too, which is when it's just her and Sid. It's just the two of them. Her voice, her voice kind of dials down, Sid, and mm-hmm. I don't know. You've got to practice. Mm-hmm. You could be something really great, Sid. And she's mm-hmm. she's still irritating, but when there are other people around, punks. She poses, yeah, and that's when her voice gets, oh my god, and goes like that. It's the ultimate groupie.
0: She is the ultimate groupie at the start of this. She was sleeping with as many rock stars as she could, just to be in those circles, right? Hanging out with Debbie Harry and name dropping left and right too.
1: If uh, yeah, man, it's but there's a there's a really there's two two moments in this that I think are. I think that even though this movie, Alex Cox said he didn't. He wanted to make Sid and Nancy because he was afraid that someone else would and Mm -hmm. would glorify them as like punk rock icons rather than what they were, which was two drug addicted idiots. Yeah, he wanted to shoot it legit. But it's a
0: very sad tale, actually, isn't it? It's it's the when you get two people that have those destructive natures come together, they they take each other down. Yeah, yeah. When if you give them something else they may have had a different life completely.
1: Right, yeah. and I, I love how frequently people tell Sid like you got to get away from this girl, mm-hmm. man. She's dragging you down. Yeah. But there's two moments in this that to me are the heart of the film because this movie is not fond of this relationship, but it at least acknowledges the romance. Yes. Cuz they're absolutely it's I've gotten I've I've tread dangerous territory on the show a couple times talking about how yes in the real world suicide is super bad but there's a reason that poets write about it so much there's mm-hmm. a definitely a romanticism to that level of self-destructiveness we just watched leaving las vegas which is one of the most brutally harrowing movies about s- suicidal alcoholism ever but there's totally a poetry to it you know like
0: well, she sees glory in it doesn't she she's the she's kind she of the begs she begs for a glorious blaze of glory
1: yeah, yeah. but the first shot to me that acknowledges the the true romance of their of them, that these are two romantic icons for young people and and at least giving it the nod and acknowledging that it is the case is they're at band practice, and Sid hasn't learned a single song and they've been there for four hours. Mm-hmm. No one's played anything because Sid can't learn one song. Nancy shows up with pizza. Everyone grabs pizza and leaves and it's just Sid and Nancy alone in the room. And she's telling him she, at this point in the movie, she's already ripped out, ripped off his money, sold it and bought drugs with it mm-hmm. and used it. Gets back with Sid later. I think this is where it's not quite yet that they do drugs the first time. Actually it is. They've done drugs by this point. I had trouble taking notes cause I got swept up in this movie, but, Yeah, yeah, yeah. but, uh, she gets burned by some of her other friends and Sid mm-hmm. and his...
0: Rockhead, isn't it? Rockhead? Rockhead, yeah. yeah.
1: The guy who's, like, way out on speed and like, yes. just freaking out in his car. But Nancy and Sid do drugs for the first time. And Sid spends the night vomiting into a toilet. But once yeah. once he gets over the bump of like vomiting, they have sex and she goes to leave in the morning and he stops her and he's like, No,
0: c- yeah. come back. Yeah. And she, she's like That's a surprise to her. That's new. Yeah. That's new. He's that's like, his genuine sincerity, this isn't is, it? That's this that's is the romantic. Wanting in him. to pet
1: the dog or being nice to his mom. Yeah. He's like, Where are you going? And she's like, Don't you want me to leave? And he goes, No. Yeah. Stay with me. And you can see her like no no one has been nice to her in so long that it shocks her. But there's this moment here in the practice studio where she's sitting on his bass guitar amplifier (laughs) and all around them is graffiti and garbage and the amp is fucked up and the floor is covered in spray paint and shit. And he kisses her and he kisses down her leg and he pulls her boot off Mm -hmm. and it's important to note that these are, there's no two bones about it. There's no two ways about it. These are disgusting people. Mm -hmm. They, they joke that they fired their old bass player because he washed himself too frequently. (laughs) So like, these are really nasty people who are in the same clothes day in and day out Mm -hmm. for many days with no baths. And Sid unzips her boot and takes her boot off and rips her stocking the open. The sound editing on that is beautiful. The rip on the when stocking? Hear, yeah. Absolutely. On, on my big speakers, fishnet. man, you can hear each fiber rip. Yep. It's gorgeous. And Sid kisses down her foot and starts sucking on her toes. And they cu- Deacons is a genius. He cuts to this wide shot mm-hmm. where Nancy is perched on top of the amp and Sid is on his knees before her
0: kissing her Straight feet. Straight away. The power she has over him. You know, and it's, he goes all in. Gary Oldman goes all in. That's on commitment. That. That's like, a <laughs> hundred.
1: Yeah, dude, he's like he's like on her toes. It's yeah. not like I'm gonna kiss like the side. Yeah, no. We're gonna cheat it out. <laughs> Gary Oldman's sucking on her feet. Yep, and like yes, on the surface, man. <laughs> on the surface, there's there's like a little yep. There's a little reaction, but at the same time, that same part of my brain that gets me in trouble mm. sometimes. She's like this. What did I fucking call her? She's an, I wrote down, Nancy is an abrasive goddess mm-hmm. in a kingdom of shit. Mm. And dude, there's like two people in this maelstrom of screaming and hatred and anger at the government and fuck you. And these two people have found something that's good. And you know from the beginning of the movie that this will end with them dying and you don't even care. It's mm-hmm. it's beautiful. It's an absolutely beautiful moment in cinema.
0: There's power to it as well when she's looking down from that long shot you can see her face is just It's like her domination. On high. It's domination, yeah. isn't it? It's-
1: but I but also for me, I read Rapture. Like she never and in the end there's a really sad moment where where She's like, I want to fucking die. I hate this life. And he goes, mm-hmm. he turns and he goes, don't go on about that. I've got way more reasons to be depressed than you have. Mm-hmm. And she goes, at least you were somebody. Yeah. I've never been anything. Yeah. But in, but she thinks she's forgetting this moment because mm-hmm. this is, no one has ever made her feel the way that she looks to us right now. Yeah. It's rapturous, man. It's like, it, it, it's it's like. I didn't realize that someone would do, could do this thing for me. It's almost in a weird way that it's like Christ kneeling to wash feet. Yeah. You know, it's, it's a really primal image. It's like looking at a tarot card, man. You're not, you're not entirely sure why it's, it's, it's got you like it does. But I absolutely loved that shot. So, one of the other things that I really like, and I think this movie does this well by creating this heightened heightened reality. Mm-hmm. They don't just show us the nitty gritty, which they will by the end of the film, but like the uh the sex pistols show on the boat, yeah this that's is where
0: we go next the, it's all, it's the launch party isn't it? thats what, it's the launch party for Nevermind the bollocks,
1: yeah, yeah, it's their first so this is one of the first times we see a lot we've seen Malcolm around, mm-hmm. but he's kind of like a hanger on on the but now we see that he's the. You can almost see the fucking conductor's baton mm-hmm. in his hand, you know. Cuz we're on the boat. So we and I like I like how the movie shows us the jumps in time by how much worse Sid looks. Yeah. How long has Oh, Sid- I, at
0: the start I said he's got color in his face when you first go to the beginning and he's performing before he's met Nancy. There's color in his face. Yeah. And there's a real stark contrast from when when you see him at the beginning, he's pasty as fuck and in the police help but then you cut straight away to this bright Linda yeah you know and he's got color and he's vibrant and And you see that slow degradation of of the skin color right the
1: the first scene the first time that he gets heroin or or, uh, tries to buy heroin from Nancy the casual off the cuff nature where he's like could you get me some yeah and she's like you don't really want it and you almost, not quite, because she is a junkie. And you see that she's working an angle. She's like, "Wait, maybe I can get money." But she's mm, like, "You yeah. don't really want it." And he goes, "Yeah, I do. Why not?" Yeah, that's how he gets into heroin. It's yeah. just like, "I'll try heroin. Here's some money." Yeah.
0: Well, that phrase, "Why not?" Why is, not? That goes for that's that's the whole punk mentality. That's why he smashes the Rolls Royce. That's why he spray paints the walls. Right. Why not?
1: Why not? Yeah. You know. Why not? The, that to me is because you expect that moment. You're like, all right, now at some point he's gonna get into heroin and it's gonna be heavy. But it's not. Mm-mm. He gives fifty bucks to a girl who burns him. He just happens to bump into him into her later and he says, I'll kick your fucking head in. Mm-hmm. So she tosses him some drugs and she's yeah, like it just Pip. happens
0: that, that was she bought some drugs at that
1: she point. She had just <laughs> bought heroin and he's like, Where's my hey, where's my money? Where's my drugs? And she's she's like, i I'll, I'll slap you. I'll kick your fucking head in. And she throws him a little Packet of heroin. You
0: know, it uh, creep me out when, when he first looks at the bags and stuff. He, sh- he takes out her underwear and smells them. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, yeah. oh. oh
1: it's another one of those moments oh. where you're just, <laughs> where you're like, eh. They just
0: open the bag and it all falls out. Yeah,
1: they dump her clothes into the street. Yeah. It's a lot of this. I mean, so... This is So we see that, we see this, that early punk energy, that club show, where everyone is connected to everyone, you know, the crowd is coming up on stage, and Sid is fighting the crowd, and there is no barrier between the musician and the audience, mm-hmm. and then we get on the ferry for the launch party of Nevermind the Bollocks and we see Malcolm and he's like what do you need money for
0: sydney that we take care of we take care of all your little elements don't that's one of the things that you I hear- don't know maybe for buying little things around the house little things <laughs> around the house and he's
1: like and he goes, uh, they they see his arm and he's like what are those bruises on your arm and Malcolm doesn't care he's just curious mm-hmm. he's like oh you're doing heroin Mm-hmm. file that
0: away that that, that's my boy isn't it as he walks off he's like that's my boy
1: yeah yeah well he says something really he goes he looks I think he like points to Malcolm and he's like this man is a fucking criminal and he's like making a scene that's right and the fact that he's just a mess and making a scene on a boat Malcolm yeah that's my boy yeah that's what he that's and all he and they're performing
0: wants. the show later and he's fucking Nancy yeah, Malcolm a, doesn't care that he's not actually performing. That's not his <laughs> not function on in the Sex <laughs> yeah, Pistols. Exactly, Dude, it doesn't matter.
1: That's so wild that I actually have a note on that where he goes um where the so the Pistols play and we've seen I can't remember her name, Phoebe. Mm. Phoebe is Malcolm's like right-hand Yeah. Man, yeah. or uh, right-hand woman. She's in the front of the crowd. And she's dressed she's punk, she's dressed punk and all the crowd's moshing and there's cameras cuz we're shooting the show mm-hmm. for the and what we don't see is, or what we do see is that the cameras aren't shooting Phoebe because Phoebe has both arms out, and she's corralling the crowd away from the stage. Right. We see this beautiful overhead shot, and we see two cameras shooting the sex pistols, one camera shooting past Phoebe into the crowd, but Phoebe is in a blind spot, and she's controlling the crowd. It's all artifice. It's completely fake. Mm-hmm. And you're watching it, you're like... It it, it's your stomach just sinks because you saw the raw power of that first show and you're like oh fuck they've been bought Mm -hmm. they they're being sold right now this is it's so depressing it really really is, um, and I like I like that Sid and Nancy are fucking on the bathroom floor. There is almost actually there is no there's no beautiful clean moments between Sid and Nancy they're always gross. They're always kind of rough and grimy and and it's like, but, but in a weird way, and I I think the movie will strip all of this away by the end, but at this point, this is still that punk ethos. It's Mm -hmm. like they're in a bathroom on a boat full of punks who've been slamming beer all day. There's piss on that floor. Yeah. There's, there's probably needles on that floor Mm. and they're rolling around Sid shirtless as always. They're rolling around in the filth and they don't care. No. And that's that punk thing. Yeah, you know, eventually the punk thing almost seamlessly will become that junkie thing. And that's kind of where the that's kind of one of the things I think is really powerful about the film is it shows you there's not
0: a lot of line between the two. Well, you start to see the answer to these question: Why not? Yeah, right. That's why not. Yeah, <laughs> there <laughs> you go. There's your life. That's,
1: that's that's why you don't do that. I mean, I, I think Nancy in a weird way because she is, she's an irritating character intentionally. So, mm. cause she was, an because irri- she was, she was an irritating yeah. person, but there's this line where she asked, she's asked, she's begging Sid to kill her near the mm-hmm. end of the film. And she says, I can't fucking wake up to the same thing again tomorrow. Yeah. And you're like, Oh yeah. You are
0: tapping. You're done.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Eventually you get to a point. So after they get off the boat though, this is fucking great because it's a, vi- it's a cinematic metaphor. It's a, the use of, it's, it's that show-don't-tell thing.
0: When the police are corralling them?
1: Yeah, well, the police are chasing kids down, there's yep. people on the ground holding their heads all bloodied, that, screaming.
0: That boat dock as well, if you look past, on the other side of the river is where the London Eye now stands. The what, what now? The London Eye. What the big wheel. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. That's where that now stands. So that is the old uh, London Council building that you see. And behind the camera is the Houses of Parliament Big Ben. So, so that's, that's where, where they are that is. so yeah. they're
1: they're getting these people are all getting arrested and beaten in front of the houses of parliament mm-hmm. which see that's why it's good to have a <laughs> Londoner around when you're talking about these movies because I know that that's that was the big thing with uh, uh, Guy Fawkes he tried to blow up the houses of yeah. parliament like he's like the OG punk basically yeah, the OG yeah. anarchist mm-hmm. so what a powerful because the symbol. king
0: would uh, the, the reason he did it on that particular day was uh, still done today the the queen opens parliament Mm. so when you guys go off on vacation congress and then you come back well when we do that the queen goes in and does a speech and the king was going to be doing that so the king was in parliament that's who Guy Fawkes was after
1: so he was trying it wasn't necessarily the symbols
0: of parliament it was an assassination he was trying yeah he was trying to wipe out the king and the government
1: and you Brits celebrate
0: him every year absolutely buy it Hold it. chucking him on a bonfire that's true (laughs) that is true penny for the guy (laughs) Yeah.
1: So, one of the, what I love about this is these these kids. I like it even more now, especially because of the added symbolism of authoritarian powers mm-hmm. beating down an underclass of youth in front of the Houses of Parliament. Yeah. But you, it's almost like watching footage of Vietnam, man. It's like screaming kids and kids on the ground, holding their faces and blood everywhere. And Sid and Nancy step off that boat, and you'll notice if you watch the scene, no one touches them.
0: No. Just, At, it's one straight path, and it's a
1: long shot. They're, They're too.
0: separate as well. They're mm-hmm. separate from everyone,
1: which I think is a metaphor for heroin. This is what happens when you're on heroin. Nothing touches you. Mm-hmm. You know, you they just walk unscathed through this sc- maelstrom, sc- screaming melee. Yeah, yeah, it's amazing. It's a. T- it's and again, it's a beautiful shot. Mm-hmm. You can't help but react to it. You follow
0: him up the stairs and people are running past them. But they're Cops are their chasing
1: time. them, but they just take their time. Sid laughs kind of casually just yeah. looking around. And, you know, you get the sense. You understand why he felt invincible. Mm-hmm. Because you later on in the movie when he see, when he seems to unjustly think himself like above everyone else, you got to remember when he's high on heroin, which he is for basically the rest of the movie at this point, unless he's coming down and mm-hmm. his bones... Or speed or yeah, I mean,
0: they're
1: doing that um but when he's walking up the stairs like that's how he feels so when they're saying like $3000 for a show uh, he's worth 5000 at least and you're like are you out of your mind he might be worth 50 bucks on a good night <laughs> at this point <laughs> but they've got that weird h- distance that opiates give you where mm-hmm. it's just like actually the, I mean the, the the best description i'd ever heard of vicodin was when you take vicodin it doesn't take the pain away it makes you not care about the pain yep
0: and this is uh as someone who had an opiate was heading down a, a road of opiate dependency um i broke it last this summer yeah but i was taking most maybe two a day and that's exactly it is that the pain necessarily was there but you just didn't you just, kind you just of, don't care about you it you just veg out and I wrecked my back. I didn't wreck my back. I hurt my back really bad when I was
1: a little bit younger, and they gave me me steroids to fix my back, which Mm -hmm. you got to do, especially if you have a back injury like mine. You got to rebuild the area. So they gave me steroids. They gave me OxyContin. I didn't even have a slipped disc. I just had an irritated disc. They gave me OxyContin, steroids, and Valium. And I was like, okay, what's that one for? And they're like, that's for the pain. I'm like, that's OxyContin. And they're like, yeah. Your back hurts like a bunch. I'm like, my back does hurt a bunch, but isn't that for like surgeries and shit? And they're mm-hmm. like, yeah, there you go. I'm like, why Valium? And they're like, well, the steroids, you might there there's might be the side effect of roid rage. We're giving those preemptively so you can calm down if you freak out. <laughs> Turned out, I actually did end up getting like a weird, I had a reaction to the steroids and I yeah. got super mad. I a, uh my favorite coffee cup against the wall for no reason. Wow. And I was like, ooh, that's kind of spooky. I Better took, take a Valium. <laughs> I took half a Valium. I'd never taken one before, <laughs> so I was like, okay, they prescribed these how mm-hmm. bad could they be i took half a valium and i laid in my bed for 14 hours and watched family guy that was it that was my wow. whole fucking day half a valium and staring at the screen so actually that's when i started smoking weed i went to my friend actually i didn't get out of bed cuz my back was in bad shape but i called my, my buddy and i was like hey um can i my my back is like fucked up and they've given me these pills and i don't like how these pills mm-hmm. make me feel like, do you know where I can get some weed? And he was like, yeah. And he told me a name and I called the dude and got he got me a little bit of weed and I didn't know about like what tolerances were. So I smoked the whole joint and I went to space. But after that, like I took, I I would just smoke like one or two hits off a joint Mm -hmm. whenever I had pain or whenever the, the, the uh, steroids freaked me out. Gone, gone, no pain, no, no freak outs, none of that. And that that's why for so long I've always been so, like, pro pox. Yeah, like, well, that, my
0: medical marijuana card is what got me off the opium in the end. Yeah. So getting that and allowing that to to replace yeah, to whatever they, level.
1: Right when we moved out of Maine, they had started doing that to help people. They were using cannabis to get people off opiates mm. in opium clinics. And, or in, uh, in like... Um, Like a methadone clinic, they'd give you an alternative. They'd be like, if you want, we can give you weed instead of methadone. And people were taking that option and seeing good success rates, you know? So I don't know. Like, honestly, like half of this movie was me being like, if Sid would just smoke a joint, man, all of this,
0: (laughs) (laughs) you could take so much of this. When's he going to bump into Bob Marley? Yeah, yeah that right? <laughs> like actually
1: the, there's there's a uh, UK reggae was big at the same time. Yeah, That's was, why uh, like the Clash has that, that like reggae and punk yeah, were totally yeah, we, interrelated yeah, scenes. Yeah, we, uh,
0: we started it all. We acknowledged <laughs> Jimi Hendrix first of all.
1: All good music comes out yeah. of the UK. Well, Jimi had to come to London to be appreciated. Yeah. Well, which is why which is why he doesn't feel out of place in mm-hmm. with Neil and I. Mm-hmm.